Welcome to the Supply Chain Intelligence Podcast, powered by Jarrett. We'll take a deep dive into a freight market analysis and provide key strategies you can use to maximize organizational efficiencies and guide data-driven decisions to make your business better. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on the Supply Chain Intelligence Podcast, powered by Jarrett. I'm your host, Matt Wagner, Vice President of Sales and Marketing here at Jarrett. I'm excited to have you join us for a Q2 2022 freight market update. On today's session, we're going to begin with a brief recap of what happened in Q1. At a macro level, there's a lot of stuff that's already happened this year. Russia invades the Ukraine starting on Thursday, February 24th. The global and domestic fuel increases. A lot of labor and inflation challenges going on as well. In today's podcast, we're going to be very conversational. We're going to be discussing what's happened in the past, what you should be monitoring in the present and today, and what you can expect in the future. So I'm excited to announce our guests today. Uh, and actually, these guys have been doing such a great job. They've actually recently been promoted in their, in their positions. Uh, so as I introduce our guests today, I want to send out a huge congratulations to both of them in their new role. Joining us today is Matt Angel. Matt's our Chief Customer Officer here at Jarrett. And we also have Jacob Ackerman. Jacob is the Senior Manager of Contracts, Intelligence, and Analytics, also known here as Jarrett as the CIA. So Jake has got a lot of responsibility as a Senior Manager of CIA. So um, guys, welcome. Uh, would you take a couple minutes and introduce yourself and also discuss your new roles and responsibilities? Uh, Matt, how, how about you kick things off for us? You bet. Um, Thanks for having me on. It's exciting to be back here. Um, in, in my new role at Jared as the Chief Customer Officer, I've been charged with continuously improving our customer-centric culture here at Jared. I'm responsible for all of our direct and indirect customer-facing initiatives and the staff that implements and executes those strategies. Um, been with Jared in a leadership role for about 14 years, and I will tell you that uh, the growth here has been wonderful for, for the people, for our customers, and for everybody involved. And um, excited to be here as we wrap up the first quarter of 2022. A lot of exciting and uh, sometimes stressful changes going on in the world. We're uh, going to talk about all those today. That's what keeps it fun, right? Yep. Cool. All right, Jake, uh, how about yourself? Yeah, so uh, Senior Manager of the CIA, uh, which <laughs> stands for Contracts, Intelligence, and Analytics. So I, I spent a lot of time focusing on how to leverage efficiencies through our carrier partners, uh, through claims, through business intelligence tools and softwares, through auditing tasks and automation of those. Um, I have a degree in mathematics, graduated from Ashland University, just some fun facts about myself. Um, and I have been with Jarrett Logistics for six and a half years. That's awesome. I graduated from Ashland too, but I do not have a mathematics degree and I will not pretend to have one either. So uh, thanks for joining. I'm glad both of you guys are here. You know, we mentioned uh, some of the significant events here recently that are going on around the world. Uh, Matt, can you speak a little bit about the impact of the situation with Russia and Ukraine and how that's had an impact on the global supply chain? You bet. So, uh, as you all know, we've had um, coming up on two years now of some, uh, some significant supply chain disruptions caused by uh, the COVID pandemic. And right as we got to about the two-year anniversary, uh, war started in, in Eastern Europe. And in the short term, the biggest impacts on the supply chain due to the uh, war in the Ukraine is a sharp increase in fuel prices. Um, and that gets passed on to customers uh, via fuel surcharge. So for those of you who don't understand fuel surcharge, it's just a floating index that we follow, the average price of, of diesel fuel, um, of bunker fuel. If you're talking about um, international container cargo ships, uh, they, they follow a different metric, it's bunker fuels, a di different petroleum derivative. And the price of fuel um, moves every week. Um, it has for, for many years, about 20 years now into there being a fuel surcharge at all. And the fuel surcharge um, does fluctuate. Anytime there's a big event like this though, there's a real significant impact to fuel prices. Um, that fuel surcharge gets passed off from a transportation company to a shipper. A shipper passes it on to their customer, customer passes on to consumer, and it always ends up in the consumer coming out of the consumer's pocket in the end anyway. So not only do you pay for fuel uh, at the pump when you're filling up your car or your truck, you're also paying for it in the increased price of your products. And we're all seeing that in the marketplace right now. 
So big impact on that is the uh, Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And fundamentally, the world needs Russian oil. Um, Russia produces enough oil that we can't do without it right now. So um, there's embargoes that get put on Russian oil and we buy it from somewhere else. Well, that creates a need for another company to buy Russian oil. So the Russians are still selling their oil. They're not selling it to the U.S. or to to Western Europe right now due to embargoes, but they are selling it elsewhere. So we're we're forcing us now in the U.S. to go buy it from somebody else. And anytime there's chaos and disruption like that, there's a cost increase to that. So the supply chain changes, there's a cost increase embedded into these supply chain changes. So uh, one of the many reasons that we're seeing fuel escalate as it is. We use oil for things that aren't just gasoline and diesel. We also use them for synthetic rubber products, for petrochemicals, and more than anything else for plastics. All all plastics are are oil derivatives, they're made from oil. So Russia is also the largest supplier to the U.S. of what's called pig iron, which is all of the recycled iron that we use in foundries here in the United States to make um, iron and steel products. Um, We need it. We need that iron. So uh, the Chinese have been buying up that iron for 20 to 25 years. Anything they can get their hands on is going to China to build their infrastructure. Um, so that's where most of it lies. And uh, we've shipped it off overseas for, again, for 20, 25 years here. It's been sold overseas. And then we import it from Russia. Um, and we don't have that supply right now either. So that's, that's a big disruption um, to the foundry industry making iron and steel products. Uh, although Russia is a relatively small economy, um, we believe that um, the longer this conflict lasts, the more likely it is to cause a downward ripple in our own economy here at home. Consumers will be spending even more on essential goods, uh, such as gas and food, and they have less money for non-essentials. And believe it or not, 75, uh, almost 75% of our GDP here in the United States is consumer spending, and supply, the supply chain industry ebbs and flows in direct concert with consumer spend. So um, price of price of our staple goods goes up. There's less um, discretionary spending in the economy, and that's just gonna that's gonna put a real hurt on our economy here at home as well. The truckload market's usually the first sector that feels these economic shifts due to its sensitivity to the demand curve. So um, it's a reliable forecaster of what's to come in our industry. So as we see there become more capacity in the industry, that is a sign to us in the transportation world that the economy is slowing down as well. And we saw it in February already. We saw um, an increase in capacity and a flattening of rates in the truckload sector and uh, seeing it continue again into March as well. Have not seen that in LTL, haven't seen it in parcel, but usually those, those come later. Uh, we usually see that first in the truckload in the truckload space, and we're seeing it uh, here for the last six to eight weeks. If fuel increases dramatically and remains high like it is today, fuel surcharges um, are going to offset a lot of this rate softening that we're seeing in the truckload sector. So you might not be paying less for truckload. You might be paying a flat rate for truckload from January to March, but your rates would be down if there wasn't an increase to the fuel surcharge. And all of that's caused at this level right now by the the Russian, Russia, Ukraine situation. Tell you what, there's so many more things that are impacted by that situation than what you realize. Um, Just, just overall and how that plays out with everything is really transportation being a leading indicator. I mean, that's one thing, but just products, commodities, and what that means for everybody's livelihood as well. Um, Jacob, is there anything else that you can see, uh, how you could see this impacting the supply chain overall? Yeah, um, I would say that there are things that Matt had mentioned just in his recap there that I'd I'd like to dive into just a little bit more. Um, I think the first thing for us to remember in regards to what's going on um, in in Ukraine is we need to be thinking about how this event could affect supply chain and what it and we're tying it all back to what stuff looked like back post-March 2020. So we really need to be thinking about what did what did the economy, what did people feel like during that time frame of March 2020 when COVID-19 was just starting to ramp up? We were seeing on social medias. Um, what did that look like for the following months? I remember walking into a local grocery store uh, two weeks after people had started to you know, work from home more and start to talk about things more on social media. And I remember walking into the toilet paper aisle, which is a, a laughing joke that everybody talks about. But in all reality, I remember seeing 
the thousand different brands that, that are there, which I spend 45 minutes trying to figure out which, which was the difference between each one. Um, every single one of those was empty. And I think that kind of gives us an idea that fear is a powerful motivator. And this and uh, fear is also constantly ranked in the top three reasons why people decide to make a purchase. So I think with what's going on in with the Russia-Ukraine conflict, um, something to be thinking thinking about is that although it's currently limited to a smaller geographical region than what the widespread effects of COVID-19 were, uh, many similarities we saw in the months following 2020 can be seen around the globe uh, if things kind of don't let up or, or don't change. So one of those things that Matt had, re- had discussed was uh, food. So what we don't really think about uh, as we're all you know chowing down on burgers and, and buns and breads and things like that is that uh, Russia and Ukraine make up around 24% of the world's exports in wheat. And the food scarcity that comes from, you know, the embargoes or shutting off that supply to the countries that they were previously uh, sending it to, which is mostly uh, kind of the, the um, Egypt, Brazil, Mexico, and then also a lot of impoverished countries. Um, what that does is creates a food scarcity and the fear that comes with it can lead to a lot of unpredictable things, which are unpredictable purchasing, further conflicts such as bread riots and government instabilities where countries are starting to overthrow their governments because the the spending and the inflation is so high they can't afford the basic things such as food. So what we end up seeing with that is the loss of the resource from Ukraine and Russia making up again 24% of that. Uh, The rest of that wheat is being purchased at a premium from other countries that are large exporters of it, like US, Canada, France. Um, And they're not just purchasing it at a premium, they're purchasing it expeditiously, which in turn affects the transportation realm because people need food. Um, We kind of saw this back during uh, COVID-19, especially as the vaccine rollout was being implemented. There was just a massive push for distribution of these things. So if we see food scarcity on a continued level, especially in Egypt and and some of those Middle East countries that are heavily dependent on breads and, and wheat, um, what we'll end up seeing is a need for a supply chain solution and mass distribution similar to that of the vaccines, but for things that are also that are similar to that, which is the life-saving supply of wheat and other food resources. Um, and all that distribution requires an essential item that is restricted also as as Matt had mentioned, which is fuel. Um, so we're going to see a further compounding of essential needs that we don't really think about on a daily basis, which might be food that's being needed to be sent to other countries. And that's going to tie up a lot of our resources. So uh, that leads us into a really good section on fuel. So, yeah, well, to your point a minute ago, just about like fear based buying components, so just kind of watching the news and seeing different things that was going on and it is going on in the Ukraine and seeing the empty shelves, it did bring back memories immediately of what was going on during the pandemic when shelves weren't. I mean, it was kind of exactly as you as you just described. You know, Matt, you touched on on the fuel piece a moment ago, but kind of based on like that fear buying decisions and reactions to what's going on, like share with us a little bit more specifically on what you've seen uh, here the past few weeks as it relates to fuel. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you, Jacob, for scaring all of us. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to go ahead to the grocery store <laughs> yeah. as soon as this is over. That's, that was pre- that's pretty amazing. I do, I do want to clarify. I don't think we're to the place where fear-based purchasing is overwhelming supply chain. Uh, however, it is something to be cognizant of because there's news reports of more and more activity. Social media is going to continue to perpetuate fear. Um, and then there's so that unpredictability of COVID-19 and what's going on in China right now with more lockdowns and more situations there. I think it's just a reason to be aware of current inventories and also building out good partnerships with other vendors, with other um, supplier, I mean, suppliers, uh, with your uh, counterparts that are con- Contracting work, all those people. So, just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah so, a little bit more on the on fuel, um, and got got some numbers here that are going to be exacerbated by the Russia Ukraine situation as well, too. Um, <clears throat> so, 
fuel has been steadily, uh, slowly, but steadily escalating over the last 18 months uh, since the economy started to recover. Um, you know, August, September of last year during the pandemic of 2020, excuse me, during the pandemic. You know, in November of 2022, a price of diesel fuel was $2.38. Um, that's 15 months ago. Uh, 15 months later today, it's $5.19. That's a 120% increase. What and was I it get 15 months ago? $2.38. Now it's $5.19. <laughs> that's a 120% increase in the price of a gallon of diesel fuel. Um, the first week of March, uh, the price of fuel increased by 74 and a half cents in one week. That's the largest ever single week increase. And it put us at a record fuel price at that time. The next week it, it increased by 40.1 cents again to yet another record level. And that was at about $5 and 28 cents, come down about 10 or 15 cents in a couple of weeks since then. Um, but again, all of these increases get passed through from the shipper and eventually down to the consumer. So we're, we're all paying for it. As a shipper, you've got to be aware of it, though. You're the first person who's going to pay for it. A truck's going to go pick up your freight today. You're going to get an invoice for it next week, and you're going to have 120% higher fuel surcharge than you did 15 months ago. So as a shipper, you need to be aware and be budgeting for that cost now. With a 3 to 5% increase in, in Fuel prices over a month's time a year ago, you didn't need to budget for that. It doesn't need to be a call to action. But if you're a shipper right now, you're, uh, what, what you're paying for now versus the first of this year is a significant increase to your total transportation spend. Jake will get into that here in a little bit more too. But that's something that you need to know, you need to be aware of, you need to be talking about building a strategy for. If your price of your products hasn't changed and you're paying 120% more for fuel, it's probably a PL problem that, that you, you're either have identified or are going to identify in a real short amount of time. In the middle of all this, um, th there's other factors that have, have compounded the problem. A carrier FedEx freight in their LTL sector, sector uh, increased their fuel surcharge in the middle of March by 7.2 percentage points. So um, you may have been paying, you were paying if you're doing business directly with FedEx freight at the first of this year, you're paying a 20% fuel surcharge. Today, you're paying double that fuel surcharge just in, in, in the span of about six weeks. So it's a huge increase compounded by the change in their surcharge and the price of fuel itself. So you just, these are things you just need to be aware of. It's a big change and, and a big impact. Like, I mean, are all shippers affected by this adjustment? All are affected by it, unfortunately, yes. So the the fuel surcharge, again, is an index. Um, everybody's paying more um, for fuel today than they were before, regardless of, of what scale you're on. Um, the degree to which you're paying more is different, um, but, but everybody's paying more for fuel right now. I'd say the only, the only exception to that is uh, for like a one-week time frame when the carriers didn't have a high enough fuel schedule uh, where they had to go and re-up their rules tariff to make sure, because this, had, as Matt had mentioned, this has historically never happened before. So carriers were figuring out how to re-index their um, fuel percentages because for a week time frame, it exceeded the maximum amount that they had on there. So they spent a lot of time having to readjust uh, with these historic changes. And I believe so, that was just a programming problem to yeah. where a, fuels, a carrier's fuel was capped at $4 a gallon to make their calculation in their computer system. And then fuel went to $5 a gallon and the computer just aired out. It was the, it was the Y2K of fuel surcharges. <laughs> so uh, the rollover of the $5 uh, diesel price was the Y2K. So a one-week honeymoon and then here it came. Yeah, yeah, and then it came in full force. As, as businesses out there, business leaders that are dealing with all of these changes, uh, how, how are a lot of businesses handling these things right now and dealing with some of these changes? Are, are they passing some of this stuff along? Do they have to absorb this? Or, you know, with, with your discussions with leaders, I mean, how are, how are people dealing with that up to this point? Yeah, so related to fuel, um, everybody is not dealing with it the same way. So uh, maybe you're a shipper who has a freight allowed program. If somebody buys up to $5,000 a product, you give them quote unquote free freight and you ship it to them. Well, your cost is increasing substantially right now and you are not recouping that cost if the price of your product is the same and if your free freight metrics the same. If you, a customer right now is benefiting 
benefiting greatly from you in a, in a freight allowed situation if your cap on where you start paying for freight is there uh, at $2,000 you haven't changed it. Um, they're benefiting from you in a big way because you're paying more for fuel and it's affecting your bottom line. Someone in a prepay and ad scenario with their customers where you're charging them for transportation and fuel on top of the product, uh, you should be covered. Um, chances are you're charging for line haul, fuel surcharge, maybe even have a markup uh, in there that you're charging your customer as well. You're covered there. But the people who are, who are really impacted by this most are the ones who are not charging their customers for freight because they're not allowed to follow an index. They're not allowed to, to make those charges. So okay. those would be the people affected by it most. That's good. And just to clarify, kind of like the prepaid freight versus prepay and ad, can you clarify prepaid is more like... What, what's that? It's more like the Amazon. If you buy something online and they're paying the freight because you have passed the $50 or the $75 threshold that you get free shipping, Yes, that's kind of prepaid. Correct? Yep. That's, uh, some will call it prepaid. Some will call it freight allowed. There's all kinds of terminology that people will use. But, but in the end, what it is, is when you send your invoice to your customer for your product, it is just for the product and there is it's not a transportation line on that invoice. That's so freight's free, right? Yeah, freight's always it? free, right? <laughs> freight is never free. <laughs> and, and now businesses are, are seeing that more and more. So that's a good point. If you have not made any adjustments, there's a new normal on what's going on. And if you're not keeping pace with what is actually happening within our market and our, our environment that we're playing in right now, you've got to be able to adapt and adjust and make make some uh, alternative decisions on how you're how you're managing your business today. That's right. And somebody in your organization is going to come to you with a P&L and tell you that it's not performing the way it used to be. And fuel surcharges and freight rates in general are playing a huge factor there in that scenario. And I think that's the big piece to take away from what Matt Angel had said here was that you have to be aware I mean, you just first and foremost, the first step is awareness. And then from there, there's an opportunity to either, you know, raise your freight allowance or to uh, add a prepaid NAD program uh, to charge back some of the, the costs that you're incur incurring. Um, there's also the ability to negotiate some uh, fuel, contracted fuel schedules and services charges as, as Matt had kind of talked about and alluded to previously um, because if you're working uh, and if you're doing business directly with carriers Matt had mentioned that FedEx's fuel amount in the last couple months has doubled um, so if you're working with those carriers directly you're seeing you know on average around a 17 percent total LTL transportation spend and I'm using LTL just because as an example um, but total increase in spend, just a total increase in spend. So if your invoice in was fuel or in no, everything. in there in everything, total, total landed, total cost. landed cost. So if the if the bill, let's theoretically use a hundred bucks, it was a seventeen dollar increase to that hundred total uh, cost of the bill. So um, not just on the fuel, that's on the total business. So um, now, if you're working off of something that a lot of freight experts are using, or if you've got somebody in house that you know knows what's going on is, an, is on top of that stuff. You're probably working off of a contracted fuel schedule with a, a really reduced um, index as we have kind of talked about. And what you're going to see, even, even on that reduced, you're still looking at an eight to 9% total freight uh, spend increase. Um, but there's a huge difference between eight and 9% and a 17% when you're sitting in a boardroom answering on variance. Um, so if you're not aware of those things and if you don't have somebody contracting and talking about those, um, that's really what you want to be talking about um, and looking into. And those those contracted fuel schedules also help to flatten the peaks and valleys of these diesel prices as they jump up because of conflict or as they jump up because of a natural disaster. I mean, nobody's excluded from uh, these big, big life situations. It allows for a stronger ability to budget with minimal variance and to be successful and to charge your customers appropriately. So... Um, yeah, that's that's a big part of that. That's good. I think one of the things you mentioned a few minutes ago is the biggest thing is being aware of what's going on. And I think I, I'm sitting here listening to you. In order to be able to do that, you've got to be able to have the data that you're referring to. And being able to have data is one thing. But there's a whole lot of other things that go into it. you got to feel good about the data. you got to have confidence that your data is telling you the right 
my story, but you also have to be able to get data timely. I mean, if we look at data from last fall today, it's not really telling us what's going on right now. Even if even data from January right now is not telling us exactly the true story of the market and the times that we're in here beginning in the Q2. Um, and so, you know, you bring up a good point on, you know, you've got to be able to have data to be able to drive actionable intelligence uh, as far as what's going on within your business. Yeah, for sure. And, and there's great resources out there. If you spend some time and you just Google, hey, what was the history of the diesel prices? You'll be able to start utilizing that information to help you formulate, you know, average diesel prices, um, start to create a program that, you know, fits you know, the budget structure of your company. Um, and, and there's so much, so many resources out there and so many partners um, that you can rely on to give you that information as well. So what I heard from you as well is um, everyone is not exactly affected 100% equally. There's some people that may be more impacted than others just based on how they're doing business and, and who they're working with yeah. on the carrier side. Yeah, it's proactivity. And, and, and like you had mentioned, it's about gathering information. Um, if we spent, uh, you know, as an industry, uh, 10% of the amount of time that a lot of individuals spend on uh, analyzing their fantasy football teams for a draft coming up, you know, we would be in a much better position to look at what's going to happen with this fuel and project out, hey, here's the here's my draft lineup for what I'm going to do with fuel. Here's what I'm going to do with X, Y, Z. So data is key to this. Um, and then making sure you're just aware, uh, listening to podcasts like this, listening to uh, other key leaders in the industry. It's, it doesn't take a lot of work um, to stay on top of this stuff. Yeah, that's good. Another core challenge today is uh, that everybody, you know, everywhere we go, there's labor and inflation challenges, you know, labor specifically. Matt, you know, you're you're constantly out kind of meeting with customers and, and other leaders and executives. Jake, you're constantly meeting with carriers and different things that way from a leadership standpoint, and from the rep standpoint. But what are you guys seeing and hearing from a labor standpoint on what's going on in the market right now? Yeah. So like you had mentioned, yeah, communicating with our current perspective, uh, current perspective clients, um, our industry peers, um, my peers in, in other organizations as well. Uh, we know that we have supply problems and they affect every industry. A company's ability to source the product they need at a price they want to pay and get it delivered when they want it delivered in order to meet their customer expectations. Uh, that's been a challenge for two years. Uh, remains just as much of a challenge as it is today. What we've come to kind of a consensus on in talking to everybody, though, is whether you're trying to buy your trucking company, trying to buy a tractor or a trailer, you're a manufacturer trying to buy um, a component, an input, a metal product, packaging, whatever it might be, the core of the problem seems to be a labor problem. So you want to source a product and your vendor can't make it fast enough, can't get it to you fast enough, can't meet your expectations. Chances are the problem there is a labor problem. They don't have enough people to make it they don't have enough people with the right experience to, to be able to hire in the labor force right now today to be able to make it. They might tell you that they can't meet, make your product because they can't get their raw materials in to make your product that you're asking for. But as we continue to look downstream at the core of the problem from the, the very baseline manufacturers, a labor problem. And um, we've heard the term now for uh, going on a year about the Great Recession. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> great Recession. We're headed for one of those soon enough anyway. But this is the Great Resignation. And uh, the Great Resignation is the labor shortage. And um, everybody's trying to figure out when it started, why it started, what it really is, and what we're going to do about it. And just a couple of stats from the Department of Labor on the Great Resignation. Uh, in 2021, 48 million people quit their jobs, which was uh, by 23% an all-time high in any year, uh, given any market conditions at any time in our history. So, um, and that didn't end in 2021. So January, right out of the gate, January 2022, 4.3 million people left their jobs. Um, there's a lot to be said about leaving their jobs. All these people didn't leave their jobs and just go home and sit on the couch. So, some did, but some retired early, a lot of early retirements. 
a lot of people not wanting to deal with uh, a work environment, a COVID work environment, just scared for their own personal safety or their family's safety, left the workforce uh, prematurely. They wouldn't have left the workforce so early. Also, a lot of people transitioned to new jobs, too. That, that's what the major component of that $48 million last year, somebody moving to a new job. And while that's fun and, and uh, exciting and a great opportunity sometimes, what it creates in the business world is uh, disruption. Uh, it becomes time-consuming, and it's expensive. So... Um, a lot more training is involved when you when the turnover rate rates are higher, which they are everywhere. Uh, you got a loss of expertise. You got a loss of experience. Uh, those two things you lose. Train. You, you have to do too much training. You don't have enough people to make things. You lose experience and you lose expertise. You get drops in quality, and you get drops in efficiency. And this just further compounds over and over again the supply chain problems that we're in right now. It's not just one segment of the economy. It's all segments of the economy, economy equally distributed all at the same time. And that's unprecedented in my working lifetime here also. But it's not necessarily in one pocket, one region, one area. I mean, that's that's right. pretty much why it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Jake, does that, how's that translate on the transportation side? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of really good things just said about, you know, the inefficiencies of having less people available. Um, and the transitioning of people from one position to another. We see that, I mean, all the time in the transportation industry because everybody does it just a little differently. It doesn't matter what customer you're talking with. You know, they bring somebody in from another customer. Uh, they've got to learn a whole new bill of lading. They've got to learn a whole new uh, tendering process. And what we're in, what we're, what I'm seeing from a transportation side of things is a lot of uh, individuals trying to get more and more efficient using technology because of this uh, industry shortage. And when we're asking customers to do this who have never done that before, there's another learning gap. We've got to train our, we've got to train the customers. We've got to train um, how to use APIs and EDIs and what do those even stand for and what does that even mean? So uh, there's a lot that can't be fixed quickly when we're talking about these problems. Um, in relation to the uh, transportation industry, the first thing that you're going to think that I'm going to say is driver shortages. Um, and it's true. We still need more drivers. We need to figure out ways to recruit um, younger individuals who want to get behind a wheel and do a really important job that, like we had talked about with the COVID distribution, with uh, with the COVID vaccine distribution, and with you know um, food distribution, essential jobs that are needed. And those people are heroes. Um, in a lot of ways. Um, but the thing that I'm, I've always heard said is that we've got a driver shortage problem, but I think that there's something else that I've heard recently, which was really uh, impactful to me is we've never considered that it also, we can't make more people making trailers. Um, so we've got, we've got drivers and we're saying that we have a, and, and Matt had mentioned it in, in our last podcast that a big, uh, problem right now is equipment. We just don't have the equipment. Uh, so I've always heard carriers say, and let me make this a little more clear. I've always heard carriers say, you can't make drivers like you can trailers. So we've got plenty of trailers. Uh, but at this point, they're saying we don't have trailers. And we've never really thought back far enough to say, well, we also need we need drivers, but we also need people. And we can't make people that make trailers uh, just out of thin air. So we've got to find incentives to do that. We've got to find technology improvements to do that. Um, and staffing concerns are across the board in all industries. I read a recent article in, in relation to transportation that the fastest way for a carrier to get additional capacity and to find employees is to purchase up smaller ones. Um, and that was really the only option. Uh, but that's still not even a net gain, right? Yeah, exactly. It yeah. doesn't help solve the broad market capacity issue. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. You, you know, you meant you also mentioned uh, a moment ago about the technology advancement, and technology can solve a lot of a lot of challenges and, and issues. Can technology solve all the challenges out there in transportation? I mean, you mentioned API, EDI, some of the more kind of status updates, but does that really solve what's going on out there? I mean, I'll take a swing at it and say no. <laughs> okay. uh, I think. Everybody still needs somebody behind a phone. Somebody needs to be able to talk to somebody at some point um, because 
uh, people can solve things that computers can't. I mean, taking emotion out of it, taking everything out of it, those are just legitimate facts. Um, and they want to hear the confidence from somebody and their voice about that this is going to get delivered. And that person can then translate it to somebody else and, and get it done. You can't, there's no way for a truck to get from uh, Chicago to LA without a person. So uh, we can't just do this with the technology, with one technology improvement and get it all done. There are things that obviously we can do. We've been, we're implementing as an industry all the time. Um, APIs and EDIs is a good example of that transmitting as much status information as we can, but the tracking still isn't there yet. Reliability on, on a lot of that stuff isn't to where you can just hop on and see a picture of your truck driving down the road all the time. You still need somebody at the other end of a phone. Yeah, I think we've said for a, a, a number of years now, technology identifies a problem, people solve the problem. Um, and as we all know, 2018, 2019, five, six, seven percent of the shipments that are moving through a small package or, a, or an LTL truckload network are going to have a problem with them. And you can handle five, six percent of your shipments having a problem with them and, and handle those communications. In the world we live in today, that's 20 to 25 percent of the shipments that are moving through a carrier's terminal network, going to have some problem with them. And technology is really good at telling you you've got a problem. What technology cannot do and will not do is solve that problem for you. And that's when you need people. You need people to do it right now, not two weeks from now. And that's what I feel like when we're out talking to, to companies and business leaders right now, that's what they need. You know, it's one thing to be able to know there's a challenge and a problem, but the next question out of their mouth is now what? What are we going to do? How are we going to fix it and getting it done? Um, Jake, are there any other significant items kind of affecting the supply chain that we haven't talked about yet that we should? I think something that's um, right on the top of my mind right now is uh, NMFC updates. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of going to give just a brief understanding of what that is, uh, just because when you, I might say NMFC updates and you got no clue what I'm talking about. Uh, so what it is, is You're, we're not all math majors, Jake. Okay. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, for I don't <laughs> think a math I don't, I don't think a math I don't think you need to be a math major to figure this stuff okay. out. You just okay. like like the fuel conversation we had about just staying on top of relevant things within your industry. That's what staying on top of these NMFC updates are. Uh, three times a year, the National Motor Freight Traffic Association, the NMFTA, uh, has hosts three meetings where they get together to talk about commodities and say, are they classed at the appropriate um, level to where they should be compensated? So for an example, a low, a low rated class at like a class 50, which is the lowest, would be something really heavy, really dense. It would be easy to move. Um, and then you've got varying uh, ranges of classes that go up to 500. And somewhere in there is, you know, TVs and tables and anything, any other commodity that's out there or on the shelves. Um, and what they do is once uh, three times a year, they kind of propose new changes and then they vote on these changes. And then Who's after, they? Uh, so that would be the, uh, so the NMFTA hosts these events and then the Freight Classification Development Council. Who makes up these councils though? Uh, carriers and also with feedback back of uh, shippers and anybody that the product that's being discussed is invited to attend to talk about it. Um, so that I'll get to that in a second about what are some proactive ways you can be a part of these conversations. Um, but that's kind of who makes up the gist of these meetings and these conversations are relevant people to who are handling the freight or producing the freight. Um, so a reason why things need to be discussed and talked about is because everything's getting made differently today than it was, you know, even 10, 15, 20 years ago. So a good example of that I like to bring up often is just the idea of what a television is and how it's transported. Uh, I remember in my parents' basement, there was this TV that was pretty normal size, uh, weighed about uh, plus or minus a million pounds. Um, <laughs> and to get it out of the basement, is my dad still in their basement. Well, okay. I said, <laughs> To get it out of the basement, it took my dad, I know that he took a long time to get it out of there because it was a task that he just wasn't ready to handle. Um, it took my dad, uh, he was a pretty strong, tough guy, hope he's listening, and a few <laughs> other guys to get it out. Um, and he and he, he swapped it out as he brought out the other one. 
And I remember he brought it down in one. Um, and so that's the difference. It was a larger TV. It was uh, able to be handled by one person down the stairs, just a different commodity than what it was 10 to 15 years ago. So that's what this group does is they discuss, hey, these things are a lot lighter than they used to be. We're making materials a lot lighter because it's easier to handle for consumers. Um, so they need to be reclassed because they're not as dense as they once were. They aren't since the LTL industry specifically. And this affects mostly, I mean, pretty much exclusively the LTL industry is based off of costings because of the weight of the shipment. Uh, it's really important to have this classification and the densities right on these things. Does the fact that it's more fragile and more expensive also play Those, a role in that? They do. They do play a role in that. So if it gets lighter and it gets damaged easier because it is not built like it used to be, uh, as people often say, hey, it wasn't built like it used to be. These things used to be bricks and you couldn't damage them. You used more. to be able to just pound on that <laughs> yeah. TV and then yeah. get it to work. Now you drop your iPhone <laughs> and it tracks like immediately. So uh, some of these things, uh, yeah, they take into effect research on product safety, uh, how the densities of them, the ability to handle them from a dock perspective. And those are all the reasons why we need to assess and, and look at these classifications. So, uh, in regards to what we do to be proactive about these situations, which is what uh, consumer, I mean, what shippers and uh, freight experts need to be looking at is there's kind of two proactive measures that you can do, especially if you're the shipper of this um, product that's being um, identified as a, a potential change to the classification is you do get invited to a conversation to discuss and propose like, Hey, I don't think that change is accurate based off of my material and the way that I'm producing this. And they'll send you a letter because they'll identify you as somebody that shipped this commodity before. Um, and they would like your input into the decision. So being proactive in that has saved a lot of customers uh, from, you know, being misrepresented. So if you do get an invite from that, I would definitely recommend at least tuning in or providing some feedback. That's what I was curious. Like if you're, they're not just going to wait for you to respond to them and answer whether you want your That's stuff right. changed or not. Right. I mean, you have to play a part in being proactive with this as well. Or just accept the results if you're not a part of the process. Right. And, they, and there's around a month from when the proposal goes out to the time that they go to end up voting on it, which is the time that they do a lot of the research. They ask for input from the producers of the material and the carriers that are handling it. So your TV example, so everybody that manufactures and makes TVs or ships them, are they going to be, are they going to receive some sort of personal communication that, hey, effective June 1st, this change is going into place, or are they just supposed to know about it and be aware of it? How is that communicated to somebody that's not paying any attention to this? Yeah. Uh, so they do get proactively noticed. I mean, notified of it. The contact information has hopefully been updated to whoever, if the person that's no longer there is was the contact. Uh, so you still need to be on top of that if you're not already proactively looking at these things. Because a lot of things can change. Just because the TV wasn't sent to you directly, that doesn't mean the raw materials uh, aren't listed on the... Uh, supplement somewhere that you would like to know and be aware of because that cost is coming downstream eventually. Um, so it's good to keep an eye out for these things that come out uh, on a pretty regular cadence of three times a year. So uh, it's not like it's going to pull somebody's attention all the time. Uh, but the ways, the ad additional way to be proactive in this is a lot of times these classifications, especially now are moving to more density based, uh, which means that what used to be maybe a single class is now being identified as if if it's a less dense portion of this product, it might be a higher class. If it's you know if you got more material in one on one skid, then um, it might be a middle class. And if you loaded that thing down super super tight and super dense, then it's another class. So, so a TV could be five or six different classes depending on its weight and dimension. That's correct. Yeah. So and, and with the, with these changes. Um, what you need to be aware of or what we should be proactive in doing as an industry is making sure we've got correct pricing structures for that. We've got um, correct classification groupings, which is often referred to in the industry as an FAK band. So making sure that you're talking with your carriers about these contracted things called an FAK, which I know can be kind of confusing at first glance. So if you do a little research on FAK, type that in, you'll see a good description of what it is. But for the most part, it's a class group rating structure where you can track a reduced class for something that might be higher 
um, and, and group it together for easier uh, visibility and use. And another thing that happens during this is carriers are already looking at your density and saying that, you know, based off of your density, although it's classed at 50, it's not producing at that amount. It's producing more like 70. So we're going to give you a large increase. Um, so then if you don't pull that back down to 50, or if you don't talk to your carrier partner about, Hey, you know, this is now moving to 70 and that goes outside of your previous contract. What you'll end up doing is paying for the density calculation that they did and then paying on top of that, again, the reclassification. So if you're not aware of this, you could be eating a lot of additional cost that has already been taken from the carrier. So, so if nobody understood any of that, yeah. just call Jacob. Yeah, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll get you set. <laughs> I got I got pretty deep there. I nerded out pretty hard. But for the nerds of the podcast, they're going to really appreciate that. No, that's good. And and I think a quick summary on that too is if you're not paying attention to how your products are classified over time, you are probably going to get taken advantage of at some point. And uh, it used to be that might be a two or three year process to happen. Now it happens in two or three months and it happens really fast. So um, make sure you're communicating within your organization about what your strategy is to keep in in touch with these things. And if you don't have that expertise in-house, make sure you're talking to somebody outside your organization. It kind of goes back to the data component you mentioned here uh, earlier in the the podcast. If you don't have visibility to what's going on and data like that, I mean, those are cost increases that could come that you're not even aware of that have a significant impact on your bottom line and profitability as an organization. Rather than answering the question to your CFO Mm -hmm. as to why are all your why is your profit margin down and all your costs are up six months after it happened, get in front of it and do it pro- pro- uh, proactively and, and uh, be the source of information for your organization. Yeah. You know, Matt, that kind of leads me to, to one of the questions I was, I was in some meetings here recently. Uh, we were actually working with a CFO um, of a new, new business that we're, that we're talking with. And, you know, they mentioned with all the different things going on in the market right now, his question was what mode of transportation is going to have the most negative or most impactful what will what mode will be the most impactful in the supply chain here this year yeah well that's a that's a great crystal ball question for sure but uh, what history tells us is that the leading indicator of of pricing changes and economic changes is going to be truckload the next place you're going to see it is in ltl and then the last place you're going to see it's in parcel so um kind of the, the larger shipments down to the smaller shipments are where you're going to see the most significant changes and the quickest changes. But they're all impacted to some degree. So you're not you're not insulated from uh, price increases and inflation in any mode of transportation. And they all affect each other, which is equally as important. So we tell the story when we're out talking to customers right now about the, the fourth quarter of last year, UPS and FedEx in the fourth quarter of 2021 refused to pick up 5.5 million packages a day. Both of them made the strategic decision. They're not going to overload their networks. They're not going to have big service problems. And in order to do that, they're just going to have to refuse to pick up millions of packages a day. Well, you as a shipper, um, UPS and FedEx didn't come pick up your small packages. You're not just going to go throw them in the dumpster and call your customers and say, hey, I'm not shipping you stuff. What you're going to do is take those 50-pound boxes and put them on a pallet and put them on your local LTL carrier. The local LTL carrier is already at 100% capacity. Now you want to ship a small box on a pallet, and you're going to now overload the LTL network, and that happened last fall as well. And then the LTL network gets overloaded. Now LTL carriers say, we're not going to come pick up your 8, 10, 6, 8, 10, 12 pallet orders anymore because we don't have the capacity for it. So you're going to take these large LTL shipments and move it on a truckload carrier. And then that goes into a truckload space that also doesn't have any capacity in it. So it's a domino effect. And and one mode of transportation influences and impacts the other. You're not going to escape it anywhere. That's good. Good feedback. Thanks for that. Well, I know we've had uh, a lot of conversations, a lot of different things going on in the market uh, place right now and and challenges that folks are dealing with. Uh, Matt and Jacob, I want to thank you guys for joining me this afternoon in order to share what's going on now. Um, Your experience and insight is always something that provides a lot of value and helping us kind of navigate things here right now. I want to also thank all of our listeners out there who have joined us today. 
taking time out of their day in order to uh, to be here with us and, and to learn. Uh, if you're interested in downloading uh, the recent blog, actually a lot of those NFC updates that Jacob mentioned too, we actually had a, uh, a blog or an update that came out on that. Uh, we'll actually put that in the show notes here below. Um, if you need any help or if you're interested in discussing any supply chain challenges, uh, trying to do more with less people, navigating any pricing pressure, finding capacity, uh, even needing any additional warehouse or order fulfillment services, please, please contact us directly. Our supply chain experts are performing complimentary supply chain assessments to determine what opportunities exist uh, for gaining efficiencies across transportation and warehousing networks alike. Uh, so we'd be happy to help you any way we can. A few key takeaways that we took from the conversation that may be able to go out and be implemented into your everyday business. Uh, we've got three of them. The first is being able to have businesses adjust their strategy accordingly to what's going on in the marketplace. The first step into that is being able to be aware of what's going on. The second step is being able to evaluate your existing results and how your performance is driving. Your third is being able to take action on what you see when you need to make adjustments. A couple areas that we did talk about, there's a significant increase in fuel surcharges that every shipper is paying right now. The other area is the NMFC updates for LTL shippers. If you're not familiar with any adjustments that have been going on, go out, get familiar with that, and be able to determine if that impacts your business and what impacts that may have. The second takeaway is really as we're looking at how business leaders are dealing with some of the labor shortages and struggles that are going on in every market right now. They're looking at two different ways. The first is utilizing technology to be able to automate various areas of their business. The second is also evaluating partnerships and people that they may be able to outsource various functions of their business. That is not a core competency of theirs. One of the things that, that uh, Matt mentioned was that technology does a great job of identifying a problem, especially in transportation, but people solve those problems. And so be able to, to see the big picture and understand where that work is going to be going and how that is going to result in, uh, in your business and the action that you take accordingly. The last thing that was a takeaway I kind of leave you with, it was a comment that I read on FreightWaves recently. That comment was, going forward, business survival will require a highly functioning supply chain run by professionals with the experience and instincts to respond. And as we talk about strategic partnership, you, know, you may have that expertise and that experience and that know-how in-house within your organization. If so, leverage it, use it to its fullest. If you don't have that within your organization, that's okay. A lot of companies don't, but you can partner with someone who does. Partner with someone that has the same core values and mentality that you have, that meshes with your business, and that has your best interests in mind. And often being able to find someone that has leading technology, but also the people to support you as needed is a best practice. Uh, so be able to go out and understand where you're at today, but more importantly, where you need to go in order to navigate the unforeseen waters ahead.